Hey everybody, it's Richard Harrison, Scott Lease with another episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast. It is Monday, August 31st, 2020, and it's very possible this episode will drop today uh, based on some goals that Scott and I have set for ourselves. And, you know, usually we hit our goal every month, no matter what, because that's the business we're in. But uh, we're going to actually drop this one today, I think. So Jake, uh, we have Jake Dunlap from Scaled. S-K-A-L-E-D, on the line with us. Scott and I have known Jake for several years now, gotten to know him, uh, cracked a beer or two, had a meal, so we're, we're all very good friends here. But Jake, thanks for, thanks for gracing us with your presence, finally. Oh, I, I appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for the invite, and yeah, let's do it. Let's drop this shit today. Let's see what we can do here. <laughs> um, so Jake, for this- test. We're gonna pressure test resources <laughs> and Jake's team's resources. Well, yeah, now I got to like change up things. That's all right. We'll make it happen. I'm hey, good with it, it. Isn't this like the banking test that they have to do, right? Where they have to see how, how secure the banks are. So, uh, so Jake, for those who don't know you, and, and I know there are, there are a few, tell everybody a little bit about your background of sales. Like where's your perspective coming from? Because I don't know that everybody knows where you, sure. where you came from on all this. Yeah. I mean, man, I'll go back, back. So, I mean, I've been doing sales now for over 20 years. I started in college, you know, I was doing telemarketing. Um, I had a few different telemarketing jobs. So I grew up, you know, phone inside, uh, got my first job out of college, the Tampa Bay Rays in group sales. And, uh, you know, because I'd focused on building a lot of skill in college versus just, you know, getting a stupid, you know, degree, um, you know, I came out and just destroyed everybody not to like be egotistical, but I mean, these kids from Princeton, et cetera, like I moved, I got promoted three times in 16 months because I focused on building skill. And, and if you look at my career, then I, I left sports after two and a half years, I went into at career builder, moved into leadership in three months, you know, built out a successful leadership and sales career there. But, but what I did early in my career is I focused on getting better that my job in taking every job was to master that job and truly master it, not just in my head, but by results and then move to the next thing. And, and what that did is it allowed me to, by the time I was 30, you know, I, I took over as the head of sales at Glassdoor. I built the original sales engine at Glassdoor. We went from zero to a million MRR in, in about a year. We went from zero to 40 people in about a year, um, closed 24 of the Fortune 100 in the first year. So uh, for me, my, my career is just a series of growth and, and nothing has stretched me more than being a CEO. But, you know, look, I, I'm deep in the sales game. I'm still out there making, making it happen for, for deals for scaled. Um, and I just, I found out very early on that I'm passionate about it. I love sales. I love the art. I love the science. I love the combination of the two. And I think for anybody listening, you know, if you follow me on social media, you're going to get a lot of not just philosophy, but a lot of, you know, tactical advice. And that's really what I'm all about is helping people get better. Can I, can I ask you about selling tickets for the Rays? <laughs> in 2003, four and five. Yeah, it was great. How, in, in, in all candles. That was like, easy. That's like selling tickets no, for the no, Warriors. No, no, this is the worst. Richard. We're the worst. We're the worst. Richard needs to stay on, on mute for this because he has no idea what <laughs> tickets for the Tampa Bay Rays is like. Can, That's can, right. Can you explain, Jake, to those people who don't know, like the Rays are probably the lowest draw. Yeah. And we were the worst team then. It was the years after. Like after I left is when they started to make like World Series runs but even because they brought in new ownership. Even when uh, they've been good, they don't have the greatest ticket sales. So what well, is it's like it's the, to, one what of the worst. like then trying to sell tickets in that market? You don't. The key to anything in life is I didn't sell tickets. I sold a father and a son getting to spend quality time together. I don't sell tickets. I don't sell suites. I sell client acquisition. I sell new business. I sell customer retention. And, and 
I don't know. Maybe I figured that out really early that that really is all sales boils down to is I didn't sell tickets. I sold outcomes. And the outcome was you and your son getting to share a moment, Scott. Hold on. You know what? Why don't you come down to the stadium? Do you think your son would like to maybe walk on the field? Oh my God. Yes, he would, Jacob. All right. Well, let's do this thing. So I think the key is like, if you can align it, look, forget about the product on the field. This is about the outcomes that you want, which is quality time or a new client, et cetera. I can help you with that thing. And so I think for me, I, I, I always knew that it was, it was about the solution you provided and not the product. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. You can imagine me just calling these ticket master leads. I love these ticket master leads. You just get a list of people and I would just go deep because again, I was trained like, look, I sold vacation packages, getting you to a, a timeshare. So talking to an individual, getting them ready to emotionally move is a skill I had developed already from, you know, three different telemarketing jobs in college. Yeah. Yeah. And, and easily transferable into Very. software. I just want to know, Jake, did they, did they call you Jacob back then? No, no, no. I just, I just refer to myself as Jacob sometimes. I don't know. Can we call you Jacob? You can get yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, 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 so you talked about that, but talk about, um, you know, I love that line of you're selling outcomes, right? You're, you know, it's like selling the dream, right? You're, but you're making that dream a reality, right? Talk about how you did that at Glassdoor and what years are you talking yep. about at Glassdoor? Because this, you know, Glassdoor is one of those companies that has been around a while, very well known. Um, just about every salesperson I know uses it as much as they do LinkedIn, at least from a job search perspective. Sure. But how hard was it even pitching this thing, Glassdoor? Or was it actually a natural, do people get yeah. it at least? Yeah. It, I'll, I'll, look, so again, I had spent four years before at CareerBuilder, right? And so CareerBuilder at the time, this is late, that was late 2000s. CareerBuilder was actually more traffic than Monster, like going into like our last. So CareerBuilder was like the top. And so I'd started to hear um, about Glassdoor here, there. So this is 2010, 11, 12. People didn't know about Glassdoor. And, and what I really, again, because I know about business outcomes, because I knew that I knew that if, if my team ever talked about reviews, we were dead on arrival. That if we tried to sell employer branding, we were dead on arrival because that is, requires this big education, et cetera. So instead, I came in and the founders who had closed the first 17 deals, they had pitched on reviews and transparency and this. And I was like, no, 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 that's not where the budget is. The budget's in talent acquisition. People's budget for employee branding is this much. They give it lip service like they actually care, but they don't. And so what I quickly did is re-engineer to the quality of the audience that if you go to Glassdoor's audience, I, my team could call Cisco, say, Hey, Cisco, I've got 200,000 people viewing your profile every month. The number one job they're interested in is software engineer and 24% have a master's degree. Do you want to talk? <laughs> and they're like, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't, I don't love it, but you know, I want to do it. So we, I, I banned my team from talking about reviews for the first two years. We talked about outcomes. What is a, it gets you the best people, right? What is it, what does an employer brand get you? And we won the SEO game around everything employment brand related compensation at Oracle. What's it like to work at Oracle? And so we could weave this narrative of like when the right candidates are looking on Google, we're the number one result. And, and here's the quality because we track the quality of the candidates. So we re-engineered away from what the thing you might think that you would focus on to instead focusing again on what, what does an employer brand allow you to do? It allows you to attract the best people. And we would just instead focus on here is how we're going to help you. We already have them coming to your profile. And then we made sure that we had the tracking in place, et cetera, to where we would get credit 
And so we worked with agencies to make sure we would get credit along the journey that, you know, I remember there's a real big account where we were not, we were like number six in terms of, or seven in terms of sending them applications, but because they could track the code, like the UTM code, yeah, whatever, whatever it is. Um, we, we were like number two in terms of a part of the journey. And so we, 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 we pivoted the way that people thought about it. And we told the narrative that we wanted to tell versus let, let, letting people get hung up on reviews, good or bad. Now I've got a lot of really, there's some really interesting, funny stories about reviews that I can tell you at some point my, too. My favorite part of this story is how seamlessly Jake just went into his glass, glass door pitch. All right. day. Like, every, All I think day. Everybody who's been in sales as long as, as, as we have has at least one company that like we could go get on the phone right now and you still remember the pitch like verbatim, right? Yeah. Career builder too. I could get into it. But again, the pitches weren't that dissimilar. It's about qualified people in different spots. So yeah. this is just for Scott. I, I can still go back into my gap pitch from, you know, 1987, wow. 86. So, you know, Scott was probably four. Um, <laughs> So, so, so when did you decide, when did you decide, when did you find out you liked sales? Like as a kid, were you the athletic kid? Were you hustling candy at grammar school? Like what, what was, when did it happen? That's interesting. No, I wasn't not in high school or anything. I know. I mean, I was an athlete. I played basketball and ran track, but I wasn't, um, I was like, I was like an introvert who was like becoming an extrovert, you know, because I played, you know, sports. Like, I think there's always some, a little bit of that, but I think what happened is, you know, I got to college and like, I need to get a job. Like my parent, you know, like I had, I had to work. I worked almost full. By the time I graduated college, I was working 35 hours a week and going to school full time. And so, um, I got, I looked in the, the, the newspaper, right. The Springfield, what is it called? The Springfield news leader or something like that. The Springfield, Missouri newspaper where I went to school at what was then Southwest Missouri state. It's now Missouri state. And I uh, look, telemarketing jobs, man, they paid. You know, those things paid like 12 bucks an hour, like, you know, which like back in, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, man, that's like serious. And so I was able, what I realized very early on, I was able to get uncomfortable and not judge myself. And I think it's that skill in particular that perpetuated me to continue to be better at sales is like, I could get rejected. I could then go review my own game film and then move forward and try something different. And I also, I'm, 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 I'm a voracious learner and I would just rip everybody off. Like, oh, Scott said something real smart. I'm just going to say that exact same thing. And like, I never had any ego about Jake Dunlap's way has to be right. I'm just going to steal and borrow it from everybody. And so I think I really, I was really good at telemarketing. Like I was good. And so that, you know, anytime time you're good at something, um, you yeah, know, but it, where, where it, did it begets the it. Come from? Where did this drive like, where did this sense of It was probably Tampa slash Phoenix, which is where I went after. I was, I was fortunate enough in Tampa, there was a guy who was older than me. He had done a career transition. He worked in banking and he wanted to work in sports. His name's Brian Ross. He's the head of sales. I think he's at the Pelicans or somewhere. Um, but Brian was a, a reader. And I used to be a reader when I was a kid. And, and when I started to realize, I think there's two things to, to answer your question. There was when I started to realize all the behavioral psychology around sales and Brian was turning me on to these marketing books and these sales books. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like so much to learn about that. The art, Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, like I, I ate that up. And then when I went to Career Builder, I had a director who, who gave me two, a bunch of different advice. But I, I went into training class and there was like eight of us in this training class. And I was a second to last person. I still hadn't sold anything a month in. And he goes, and I had him listen to my calls to my boss's boss. He goes, Jake, why aren't you reading the script? I was like, 
read the scripts. Scott Richard, <laughs> I'm Jake Dunlap. I don't read scripts. <laughs> He's like, dude, because we train a thousand salespeople on this, on this process. Do you think we're stupid? And it, for me, was the biggest light bulb moment I'd had in my career. I'm like, well, probably not. He's like, dude, drink the Kool-Aid, sell out, execute the process. And I closed 60,000 in new business the next month, right? So, so that is kind of learning the, the art first. And then my eyes were just opened so big to what a science sales is around, like there is a right and a wrong way to do this discovery. There is a right and a wrong way to position your product. There is a right and a wrong way to drive momentum. That it was kind of the learning of the art through kind of reading and, and my own skill development. But then from career builder, I really learned the science. I really learned, you know, that holy crap, man, this thing's like a conveyor belt. Like if you just do this stuff, like magically spits out sales, like awesome. I've you, had, I can't even tell you how many times I've said, almost said almost that. those exact same words, Jake. I've the, heard the you say sales it. reps uh, of mine, right? Yeah, like, I know, man. It's, 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 I purposely put a script in front of you that I didn't believe would put you in the best possible position to close the most deals. Why? Why would I do that? Yeah, exactly. But it was, it was, it was ego. It's a lot of things. It's because a lot of people I don't think ever learn it, Scott. I think a lot of people anchor to the art and the relationship building. And so they're not looking for the patterns where all I see is patterns. Like to me, everyone is like, oh, this is a one, a seven. Oh, this dude's a two, four, three. Oh, this one's a six, seven, two. And I'm talking about the same applicable applies to big enterprise deals, right? Like I really feel like there's just a rhythm and pattern to sales. If you get to the decision maker first, guess what? You've got to get the end users involved and make sure that they like it. Then you got to do some type of proof of concept. And then you come back up and you bring budget. If you get to the end users first, then you got to get, it's the same shit over and over and over again. Right. Like you can show Jake, how do you, Go ahead, Richard. Through your career, how did you coach people to get through that wall of resistance, right? To, you know, shut the fuck up. You know, do you think I'm stupid? Would you say it that no, much? No, that no, I, I, I didn't quite have to. How, I did use those words for sure from time to time. Um, for me, it was about results that I would show them. I would demonstrate. Like, I, I'm a big fan, you know, especially as I was a frontline leader. I'm leading by example here. I'm not pontificating one thing and then, and then results beget results. You know, my team at CareerBuilder, I was the number one uh, inside sales team out of 25, two years in a row. I had the most promotions from my team. And so um, I, I was like, I turned into a conveyor belt. Like I didn't try to keep my people. I tried to get them promoted as fast as possible. And so I think they came to my team because they knew that I had a, a like a process, which really was just a process they taught me. Um, and so I think it's when you demonstrate it and you can, you know, you, you get those, you, you don't focus on the eight that say, I'm not into it. You focus on the two that are into it and then results bring more results. So I think you always focus on, you can't coach someone who doesn't want to be coached. A coaching relationship is a two-way street. There's a coachee and a coach and you've got to want to be coached. So I focus on the people that wanted to be coached and got them to where they wanted to be in their life, whether it was you know, at CareerBuilder or being a DJ, getting, getting their MBA, whatever it was. That was my goal is to get people on like their, their life path. Scott, just as, a, as another manager and leader, would you agree like you don't, you coach the people who want to be coached first. How did you see that? I, <clears throat> I agree with what, what Jake said. I, and he, this is not an omission on his part with probably anything in mind, but I'm thinking like, I would always try to coach. Of course. Right? And I'm sure. You never you stop trying, Scott. I never sure. stop trying, you know, in the next one-on-one. Okay, are they receptive? And the next one, you never stop trying, but at some point there's that, like for me at least, there's a diminishing return. Yeah, and I, I, I actually, eventually I will stop trying. <laughs> you, might, you might continue to go on, but like, you know, at, at some point, like if somebody doesn't want to be coached and you've, you've tried 
45 ways from Sunday to like find a new angle to get them to open up and they're not performing and not coachable. Like at some point that's when you do cut your losses and you move yeah. on. Right. Um, but you def- right. you definitely have got to focus with the people who kind of get it and want it right away. Right. There's so many reasons to do it. But one of the reasons Richard is like, there's your social proof right there. Right. Like if, if, if Jake gets a team of, of eight people and then he's got, two people in there who soak up all the knowledge right away, apply it right away. Then he's able to point to them and be like, look, look what these two people are doing. And he's talking to the other six saying, you know, all you got to do is just follow what I'm saying. here. It, that's, it makes all the difference in the. And, and I think actually I want to add one thing because it's actually a really important part of why it's successful too. I never think about the, the, the short term. I focus on long-term skill developments, things that aren't going to, I'm not just going to give you deal tips. I think where a lot of frontline sales managers and directors and VPs is they think the job of a sales manager is to teach you a little tip or a trick. I focus on skill building. So let's say Scott and I are working together and Scott's number one skill is uncovering and understanding business objectives. Scott and I are going to work on that for months, right? And then, and then through recruitment, Richard, I'm going to bring in more people like me. Right. And so I didn't look at me managing a team for this month. I, I knew that my first six months, seven months was to turn this thing around. This team wasn't, was, was okay. And I had a mix of players on it, but if I think too many leaders right now are focused on pipeline meetings, are focused on tips and not about, um, I know that I'm going to be working with Scott for the next year. So I've got a journey. I, I want him to come on with me or that, you know, or I want to follow him on his journey, you know, however way you look at it. So I think that that's the other thing I never thought about, just, I mean, obviously you do some things to push deals through stuff, but I knew that this was a journey I was going on with this other person. Not like my job is to just tell them how to say this one thing better. And, you know, and it, cause they're different between coaching to a methodology and coaching to a, um, a, a competency, a sales competency, a skill. And so I always focused on the, the coaching to skills over everything. And this is, this is one of the reasons why you were able to develop so many successful people over the, over the years you know, and you focus on those kind of things. I mean, I, Richard knows this, but I used to train my, my sales team, not on this, like one little skill that you're talking about, but like, I'd bring in financial advisors. I'd bring in real estate agents. I'd yeah, bring in yeah, yeah. I like taught, I like tried to pe- give people opportunity to learn life skills and things. That's right. Because I'm just thinking like, I got to make Jake's life better. And if I make his life better, he's going to sell better. Right. So it's all about enabling that and, and focusing on those long-term outcomes and seeing this rep or this manager working alongside me and thinking to myself, that person needs to take my job someday. That's, I think, one of the reasons why people, you know, stuck around and were loyal to me and wanted to work for me and perform well and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, that's, we, that, that's how, that's how we, we train. Like every manager should have a goals meeting and that's independent necessarily from the coaching meeting, goals meeting. Like what's Scott trying to do? He's trying to buy a house, except a hundred percent, man. And I was very lucky, you know, look, I, unlike a lot of leaders today who get no training, right? You get promoted to leader. And I was, I had the exact opposite experience, right? Because I worked at a slightly larger company. And it's why I sometimes preach to people that they should work at a bigger company from time to time. Like I, they taught me how to be a leader. They're like, Jake, have this type of one-on-one, this type of one-on-one, do this thing. This is it. Like, this is what leadership looks like And that. And for me, uh, like there's a lot of people who have inher- inherent skills. Like that wouldn't have been natural to me, Scott, like to be like, well, I should be asking them about their financial goals. But then I grew into that because they told me that that's the right way to run a goals meeting. It's different. This is one of the areas that you and I have, 
different perspectives on because I never worked at a big company like that. Yeah. Nobody ever taught me how to run a one-on-one or how to train people. I just got lucky. (laughs) A lot of people do, man. A lot of people, but it can be taught though. I think that that, maybe that's the more important piece, whether it's you don't work at a big company. I think there are are, are ways to facilitate meetings and one-on-ones and to do that, that, that there's techniques you can use that will help you become a better leader, you know, whether it's a questioning yeah. type or whatever that looks like. But let's change the topic here a little bit to, to content and specifically content creation. And, and where I'm headed with this is, you know, you pump out a ton of content um, multiple times a day, in fact, yeah. um, from, you know, just contextual posts to the LinkedIn live sessions that you do uh, at least once a week, it seems. How do you, what is, how do I phrase this? Um, what do you do to kind of not run out of inspiration and, and to be that kind of, I don't even know the word, consistent with it all? And I'm, I'm asking this probably selfishly because sure. I, don't, I don't do that. Um, I find that I can't force myself to write something or talk about something if it doesn't flow out of me, like I'm not one of these people that can just sit down every day and like, Oh, it's 8am. I got to crank something out. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm jealous, I guess. In a way. <laughs> How does this dude keep finding all these things to say all the time? I don't have that many things to say. I mean, I draw a lot of it. I mean, keep every week I'm probably talking to 20 to 30 sales leaders or a conversation like this and, or, or CEOs or whatever. And I just, I don't know, man. I just, something, there'll be some little kernel or something. So I use, where's my phone at? I don't know where my phone's at, but I use Evernote and I'll just jot down a little note. And then, and then sometimes I'll write out a post. I to go back and write it so quick. Like that's, that's, I have a thousand ideas. I've got so many emails of shit I need to write to myself that I don't even know where to I do what Scott said. I do what Scott, Scott actually described what happens with Jake Dunlap. So imagine my morning, here's what happens. I get up at a certain hour, somewhere usually around like seven. I go look at my little kernels that I've got and I just pick one that kind of feels it. Or maybe I had something from yesterday that I'm just feeling. But if you look at my morning post, I would say 90, at least 90 to 95% I wrote that morning. Now, there could be some that maybe I wrote over the weekend. I think it'd be better for a Tuesday or something, but I don't really do that that often. I, I kind of I mean, you look at all my posts, the, the post that I had last week, I literally, it was about how much money I'd made at different jobs posted by far the biggest post I ever had. It has 1.3 million views, like 12. I've never had anything close to this thing, dude. Like not even like it, it went to some different scale. I kid you not. I was in between meetings and I saw some guy had done a post about like how he made 50,000. I'm like, oh, that's not really that interesting. I wrote this post in 20 minutes and I really hesitated. I'm like, oh, is this that good? Ah, fuck it. Ship it. Tuesday at 1 p.m. right so I don't get too married to like I know that there's going to be some little piece of inspiration that will be good for somebody I don't get too married is it perfect is it whatever because I know that consistency to your point is what's important how can can we how can we teach that to other people I've I've been talking a lot in the last couple months about the delta between idea and action and and similar to you like if I, I I don't pre-write anything. Anything that I did write probably took me 15 minutes or so at most. And it's on the fly, right? And I just ship it, fuck it, whatever happens, happens. 
But so many people, and I'm going to pick on poor Richard here again, like Richard will think about it, right? He wants to make it perfect or really, really good. And I talk to so many people who just are like, I've gotten better at that. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. And yes, you are. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I am teaching you a little bit. But like so many people can't just ship it, right? They're not sure. They second guess. Was well, there any value yeah. here? Is this a good story or anything? Like, That's right. How do we get people to shrink this? the time that goes by between, you know, having a good idea and fucking doing something. Yeah. yeah. The easiest way. But again, this goes back to, this is just LinkedIn is just an extension of already. I don't give a shit about the outcome. I don't post does great. Great data point. Toast does bad. Great data point. Like it's the same thing in sales. Like I have no emotion. I close a deal. Awesome. I'm the man. I lose a deal. What did I learn? What do you look for? And you know, and again, it's different for, for someone like you um, where you post a lot and you do have a strong following, but you've got, you know, the kid who's just starting their first sales or marketing sure. job or engineering job and they want to start to be social. What do you learn from the stuff that didn't work? Do you go look at time of day? Do you go look at content? Like, how do you, you know, how do you fix your own algorithm? Yeah, it's almost always quality of content. I mean, like, honestly, like the, the time of day, I mean, look, we've learned a lot about LinkedIn data. Like we've got like a whole treasure trove of like LinkedIn data about times to post, like why the weekends are actually really good times because the, the algorithm starves for content. So you can get a lot of it. But, but candidly, if I was somebody new starting out, and I think this is part of your question, there's two things. Like I told you, just do what I do. Draw inspiration from random conversations. You're out there talking to customers. Right. And, and you also got to decide who first step one, if you're in sales, let's just say, decide who you want your audience to be. Do you want to be LinkedIn famous? Do you want to be Johnny sales guy who talks about sales advice, but you sell into HR or do you want to close more HR deals? Because you can't have it two ways. You got to be, my, my audience is leaders, sales leaders. And then I try to do, you know, probably 20, 30% of my content's tactical sales advice. That is my audience. I'm not trying to talk to CFOs. I try to get CHROs, any of that. So you got to get aligned on who, your audience is. Go out and grid it out. Do you have a calendar of like, oh, Mondays I'm doing this and Tuesdays we, I'm we doing do. that? We, well, you also have a team. You also have a team. Well, which is different. Yes and no. I mean, my just so everyone's aware, I produce at least nine. Again, I'll go back to 90, 95% of my LinkedIn content. Almost everything that you see on LinkedIn is something I wrote and posted. Um, the only time, like maybe some of the videos, I'll let them do. Um, but most of the 90 plus percent of contents me and the, I don't schedule it though. I, I don't, I, it's like, I might, again, if I wrote like two really good, or if I have, like I have something for me, it's, it's, I try to do in the morning and do in the afternoon during the week and at least once on Saturday and once on Sunday. Um, but again, it's just inspiration. All of you are out there having conversations every day that you might think are trivial. That's what it is. You're out there talking to customers, a customer, let's say you sell into HR, you talk to an HR leader, he says, yeah, you know, one of the top difficult positions for us to look for is CNC machinists. I do post about, you know, learning, selling into manufacturing or something, something that I think other HR professionals, but I think too many people on LinkedIn, they don't, they don't even know who their audience is. They're trying to be LinkedIn famous. They're trying to post this, like go sell sales tech. If you want to align your audiences, go sell something that sells into sales. If you want to talk about sales stuff. I or, I'm sure you're about to say, if you go sell something first before you well no shit that's a whole other thing scott like dude i didn't guys i didn't start posting organically on linkedin until i was 37 okay 38 okay i did something first that's a whole but but i do appreciate that you could create a, a, a an audience around a topic that where you're sharing your own knowledge if i by the way if i was 26 year old jake and i was living right now 
I would be posting on LinkedIn. But again, I sold into HR. I would want to be the go-to resource for every single person in HR. I'd want to put up the most interesting content around talent acquisition. Again, this is I was back in my career builder glass door days. I would not, I wouldn't be, I would never talk about sales ever. I would never talk about sales, right? It's like, know who your audience is. Like, what are you even doing it for? You know, you're doing it for the likes or you're doing it for business, you know? And like, and, that, and that's the other thing for me, Richard too, is like, I think I definitely follow kind of the, I think what helped me to get over the hump originally was kind of the Gary V mindset, which is you're just trying to give as much value as possible and you're not asking all the time. And therefore I, I don't feel like a huckster, right? Like I'm peddling stuff. I'm just giving value and it's equal to shit ton of business. But I think if you really believe that what you're doing is going to help anybody, then I think that makes it easier too. But you got to know who you're trying to help. That's the big thing. I don't, I don't think too many people are purposeful enough about that. Speaking of the people that you're trying to help, what, what are some of the biggest, biggest challenges that you and your team have been helping your clients through over the last few months, right? Is it, hey, we have to work from home? Is it, oh my gosh, we have to operationalize things. I, we haven't realized how loose we are and now we've got yeah. to tighten it up. What are, what are some of those recurring themes that, that have uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, speed is important. So I, I think the key is, look, as sales, we have not been running our sales organizations like a performance agency. We haven't. We, we update our outbound process every how many months? We, we update our sales process every 12 to 24 months. What are you doing? Yeah. Like we have got to adapt. Like why so many companies got flat foot, like, like stuck flat footed with COVID is they didn't have an always changing, always performing mindset. Transactional sales always kind of had like just by nature, it's a little bit more mechanic. But if as you move up, people have their outreach sequences, they're running those things and they're just putting them on autopilot. We have to change that mindset. And COVID woke a lot of people up. Like we need to get more in touch with our buyers. We don't know what they actually care about. We don't know what they're doing. We've got to stop assuming everyone's ready to buy now and instead do a better job of segmenting our accounts, which you really have to do with COVID. There's a lot of people doing well, a lot of people doing not well and a whole bunch of people in between. And so your messaging and how you target those people has to be different. And then you need to look at the data every two to three weeks. If you're pumping out 10,000 plus data points, my friends, that classifies as law of large numbers. You can make inferences on that, right? Same thing as a sales process. If you're running hundreds of prospects through a sales process every month, guys, go fix your sales process. You can see that they're stuck at step four. Go fix whatever step four is versus thinking some methodology is going to be like the holy grail for you. So, so I would say that's one, but two is what you're referring to too, Scott, is I think more, more, a lot of people are saying, you know what? we need to look at the way that we're operating and, and more systematize this, that like this, this freewheeling isn't serving us. You know, we're actually getting in a lot of pitches right now against like some of the big methodology players, because I think people are running to what they think is safety. Well, you know, what will fix everything, Scott, a new methodology. That's it. If we just I've get it. Had this conversation so many times. If we, if uh, we just easy. get command of the message or medic or value selling, that's the ticket. And I'm like, there's really great components of that, but, but it's about aligning to your customer's journey and like understanding where they're at. And, and, you know, we, we, we have a process we've been developing called the customer framework, which is basically like a reverse sales, you know, methodology. It's like, let's understand the optimal buyer experience and how we can move people through it. And then if you want to insert a little pain funnel sandler or whatever it is for the discovery, like that's fine. Um, but, but I feel like more people now are looking maybe for, those types of solutions. I'm not going to call them silver bullet solutions, but I think they are looking to up their, the quality game of their conversations. Definitely looking for the, the, the quick fix, silver bullet, whatever you want to call it. Richard, yeah. didn't, you, didn't you and John Barrows just talk about this, Richard? 
Yeah, we just talked about it last week, and it has it, it, it goes back to it's it's way more philosophical. It, it doesn't matter whether you choose Bant or Medic. You know, I even said Bant's okay, um, just to be controversial, but um, it doesn't matter what you choose as long as you're teaching people how to have a, a decent, meaningful conversation, right? Like it's not that hard for everybody. Um, it's just about a good conversation, and that's that's all that it is. And I've even, you know, I've gone on record many times to say the the dumbest thing, you know, if I'm a CEO or or, or something, and I'm looking to bring in a new head of sales, you know, I'm going to ask them, how soon do you think you want to change my sales process? What are you going to bring on? And you know, I don't think you need to rip and replace a current sales process all the time. And that's what most VPs of sales do. And I think a lot of CEOs, particularly tech minded, who don't know the sales motion as well. Um, they're like, Oh yes, we need that. And in fact, and you really don't like, you need it's overkill. To, you know, it's total overkill and it's unnecessary in my opinion. So. Yeah. And that's what we, that's what, whenever we go in in those very first conversations, we'll say, guys, there's probably 60, 70% of things you guys are killing it. And, and the, and there, there's another thing that's just hidden in all of your top people's you know, hard drives. That's probably the other 10 or 15%. So all we're going to do is document this and augment. And that's kind of our pitch is like you hire why LinkedIn hired us to, instead of, you know, uh, Oliver Wyman or McKinsey is, you know, we customized it. We said, look, we're going to get to know your business. We're going to understand what's happening. And then we're going to build out, we did the competency work for them. We're going to build out competencies that are specific to you versus, you know, this just like straight, there's just some like best practices that are general, but you can work with what a company has. You don't have to rip and replace. And I think that's, you know, you can charge a lot more money when you rip and replace, but it's just not necessarily the right thing to do. I think you can charge just as much by not ripping and replacing. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> People like a methodology though, Richard. The problem is it helps you sleep at night. It's like the old saying, like we're in consulting, right? So, you know, nobody got fired for hiring McKinsey, right? Nobody got fired for implementing Medic. Nobody got fired for, you know, implementing, like working with Sandler. I would right? disagree with the average tenure of a VP of sales is 18 months. Yes, they did get fired. <laughs> Some of them they did. That's a good point. Version and they didn't get to the real problem, which is the conversation. That's a good point. Yeah. So. They didn't get that hired for that particular choice, though. They they got they got fired fired for a combination of a bunch of other things. Can you imagine right now, Jake, focusing on this topic for a second? Can you imagine right now being a VP of sales somewhere? No, God, how much no. different? How much different <laughs> is that world now than when you were in it? Hmm. You know, at Glassdoor. Yeah, and, and then I, I kind of a, for me it was like after my second stint, I realized like oh my God, this is what I'm signing up for. I'm signing you, up to, no matter wise, how, You wised up way faster than I did. Dude, hell yeah, I did, man. Dude, <laughs> I, saw the, I saw the game I was signing up for, man. I saw it, dude, that I'm just, you want to use me, went to the next startup group from one to four million I, a I year. Spent, I, I spent the last three years trying to convince Scott of this. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I, think it, it, I think it took Scott turning to 40 for him to finally realize, okay, Maybe Richard's right on this one. That's, I think that's right. Um, so, so for me, I realized I was playing a game that I, I couldn't win, no matter how good I was. And also at 32, man, I'm still not the most like polit political person. Like I really, like it's something honestly, and, and a lot of times when you say I'm not good at politics, it gets a laugh, but it's true. Like the more tenured you get, you do need to have more appreciation and uh, as opposed to thinking that, you know, because you're doing all these great things. So I just sucked at politics. 
I just saw it. It was like, okay, well, what's your next move, Jake? You're going to go be a VP of sales at another startup. You've got this great track record. You're going to make another three, $400,000 a year. None of, like I'll get a percent. None of it will vest or like two, a year and a half of it will vest, but I'm going to kill myself for the next mm, two years for this company and work all these hours and get on a plane and do this stuff. And then they're going to say, oh, the VC is going to come in and say, Jake, you're not quite old or white enough. And so we need to bring in the older white male who is taking a team to 200 or 300 because the VCs just have the recipe, dude. They've got the recipe and, and it doesn't matter. There, how many VPs do you know that have went from starting to IPO? I don't know any. Jim Herbold from, from Box is about the only guy I know who made it like four and a half years. But Kevin Gaither's one over at ZipRecruiter. He's done a great job. There you go. So, so we're, yeah, we're at point. These are the rarest of 0.1%. And so I just opted out and I said, why don't I just go do what I like to do, which is help companies do this shit. And then I, you know, you can't fire me. (laughs) I made me unfired because I didn't ever think I'd be an entrepreneur. I never thought about going out on my own. I never thought about any of that stuff. You know, people ask me that question all the time. It was just, again, I just sat back and reflected. I talked to my wife. I'm like, I think I should do this. She's like, yeah, I think you should do that too. And then I've had the same conversation. Yeah. Scott's way better at the politics. Scott's I know, really I know he politics. is. I can tell by his 10 years. I know but, Scott's better at Scott, it. So Jake, you and I have the politics of about 12 to 18 months. Scott's got a, a, a life of politics around 30 months, yeah. about 30 yeah, to 36 I'm, months. I'm, I'm, I'm 30 to 36 at the most. That's the good. Hey, look, that's, that's good. That's why I worry about if we ever sell or get acquired. I'm like, how am I going to structure this in a way to where I don't get fired in the first? Yeah. <laughs> it's like Jake, this every time something comes up, it's going to be like, Jake, shut up and just put your head down and do shit. How did, did you, when did you start hiring people and growing your, your team? Did you, did you, did you start just you and then expand or did you start straight away? Like with, with a team and what was the process there? Yeah. I, well, I'll tell you what I did for a long time, which was really stupid. If I really, cause I came from this rapid growth world. I'm like, I have to start hiring people. Right. So I started making money. I mean, I had my first full-time person within the first three months of the company, probably three, four months. I never wanted to build a lifestyle business. That, I think that that's an important thing. Like I never wanted to build a cash cow. If I did, I would just go, you know, I could just do consulting on my own and make a shit ton of money. Right. I, I, I knew I wanted to build a business. And so I, but, but what I didn't know early on is I didn't have a very clear mission and vision. Like, why, why am I doing this? I just knew I didn't want to do this other thing and I was good at this thing. Um, and it really took four or five, maybe four years, five years in to where, you know, we're at seven years now and where I'm like, this is our vision, you know, changing the way that people sell, changing the way that buyers buy. Like, this is our big audacious goal that we want to do is, is change that. And, um, how important that is to a company. And I don't think I did a very good job of that. So I hired a bunch of people. I mean, probably into my first year, we had four or five people. Now I didn't know what the hell I was hiring for. I didn't, I, I made a lot of mistakes early on. I burned a lot of money of my own money early on because it's not somebody else's money. It's Jake Dunlap and Bank of America's money. Um, and so, yeah, I started hiring people relatively quickly, but I think it's just been the last three years, two and a half, three years where I've, I, I think I've, realized kind of who we are from an identity standpoint more so. so Jake, I want to, I want to bring this up and then I know we, we have to wrap in a minute, but you know, you and I, I went out to dinner with you in Austin a few months ago before all this happened. And, um, and I think it was Scott, it was when it was back in like December of last year. And one of the things you were, you were, we were talking about business and you're like, Richard, just go into debt. Just go get a loan. Yeah. Just go do this. Go do this. <laughs> right? And I was like, dude, why do I want to go into debt? I don't want to go into debt. <laughs> Like, why do I, you know, and, and I did the math, like, you know, look, a hundred thousand dollar business loan isn't going to cost you a lot of whole each month. Right. And you could do some expansion. 
and I've been thinking about it a little bit more, some other stuff I'm doing, but, you know, do you still believe in that philosophy now that, now that we've gone through COVID and the world has shifted and you're like, Ooh, maybe. I think yes, to an extent, maybe to temper it, maybe a little bit. I, yeah, look, growth over everything is not the right mindset for scaling a people business. Let's put it that way. Um, I think also as soon as there's a clear path, I think what I'm, what I'm more, what I'm smarter at now is making smaller bets early and then waiting for a payoff. Whereas before I think I was maybe a little bit more, I got excited and I'm all in on like this thing. And then I'm like, Oh shit, it should have been this thing and it's close, but I wasn't there. So I think now I may be just more tempered in my like results before hiring somewhat most days. I, I don't know. That's it. That's why my wife's like the fiscally responsible one. Right. And I've got like, you know, a part-time CFO, whatever, who's like, Jake, this is how much money we have. And so I try to put in controls around me, Richard, to stop that as much as possible. Cause I'm like, let's spend it. My wife's like, no, we're not doing that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over here like spending nothing. That's right. I'm That's like, right. I mean, it's, a t it's whatever you want, you know, for me, like I think about it, you know, what would it be like? But I, I don't know. I think what I've gotten over there too, Richard, which is important is the ego of hiring people. I think early on, you know, it felt good to tell your parents and your people like, Oh, look, we added, we're at four people now and five people and six people. And I think maybe early on I got, you know, you like that. It feels good. People are like, Oh, look, he's growing. And now it's like, no, fuck. I know. Fuck yeah. That. You were defining <laughs> success by that. Yeah. I could, I could. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it was, you know, maybe it's a insecurity or whatever it was, but it, I maybe again, like leaned into it too much. Whereas I feel like now I've got a more realistic, like you said, like COVID has given me a more realistic view about when we do scale, how to do it, make sure we have the financial controls in place to where we don't have to take on you know new debt or anything. Was any of that thought, was any of that thinking part of why you left New York to come to Austin? Yeah, there's no state tax, bud. Like there's no, <laughs> like, like, no, and, and we, we had, we had our second child too. Right. So basically I'll tell you, it was a, for us, I'll just tell you the, the short version. My wife was at a company for five years. They relocated the headquarters from New York to Iowa, just had our second child. That was in March. Glassdoor IPO'd in May, or I'm sorry, was acquired in May. So if we got out in New York within the first six months, and so she was going to raise the, you know, our, our daughter for the first six to 12 months. Anyway, we're like, what do you think about Austin? Well, we looked at Tampa. We thought about Tampa first and we're like, no, and then, no offense. Again, obviously I live there and then just Austin just, you know, really jumped out at us. And, you know, so we rented for a little bit and we just loved it, man. So it was a business and life combo. Like, I mean, literally these things happened at the same, it was like March baby, my wife, March, uh, you know, glass door at the beginning of May. And as soon as that kind of hit, it just accelerated our thinking around like, what if we just tried it somewhere else? And then, you know, I, we fell in love so, with Austin. So I want, I want each of you to answer very quickly without waiting for the other person. Best barbecue in Austin. Salt Lake. Uh, I wouldn't, um, well, what, it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking, like, there's different places I like for different stuff. Um, I mean, everyone says Franklin's, right? I'll go, in order of operations, I really like the barbecues brisket. And I actually like Terry Black's. I feel like Terry Black's is because you can get, you can get in people don't, but I, I, those are kind of my go-tos. Like if I have some time, I'll go to, I'll go to the barbecue or Terry Black's. Those are yeah. kind of my two. I'm, I'm, 15, right I'm 15 minutes from Driftwood. So it's a really quick. Oh, for you. It's yeah. It's a little bit easier out there. Salt Lake. The kid, and there's plenty of room for my kids to run around and act like maniacs. So yeah. Salt Lake's good for like a, like an entertainment. You can go out there and do a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. 
All right. So uh, we're, we're getting to the end. So Jake, you know, we always end with, you know, what advice can we give you? How can we help you? Is there a cause you're out there supporting these days? What, what I mean, you- look, I'll talk a little bit about what Scott and I've been talking about, which is a Black Lives Matter topic, you know, and that, you know, Scott and I um, posted about this very recently. But, you know, I feel like as sales leaders and a lot of you are sales leaders, we have to do a better job of opening doors. And I think, look, the more that you all from you know, promoting to your audience can talk about what sales leaders who look like the three of us can do to be better allies. I feel like it's a conversation we can't just keep picking up and dropping. I feel like it's something where we need to do that. So I think whatever you guys can do to kind of keep that message, I know it's top of mind for you, Scott. It's certainly top of mind for me right now. Um, I think it's important you know, and, and, you know, any advice that you got, and maybe some advice that you all have for leaders, you know, and yeah. things that, that you think they can do. I think that would be for sure something that I'd love to hear. Well, I, you know, I, I appreciate your support um, in particular over the last week or so. Um, Richard has been helpful. John Barrows has been super helpful. So, but there's just not enough of us who are kind of leading from the front and, and speaking out about all of this stuff. And, you know, I understand. Look, I mean, I would be lying if I said I didn't pause for a split second and think I'm going to get a lot of backlash and bullshit for this. Right. And I had that thought and, you know, went for it and did what I feel is, is, is right. So I would hope that more people are emboldened to put their views out there rather than hold them back for the fear of retribution or lost business or anything like that. You know, um, but one of the calls to action that I asked for over the last couple of days in one of my posts was, let's start holding some of these people seriously accountable, right? Like, I don't think it's okay for somebody to use LinkedIn to go onto somebody else's posts and to, you know, spew all sport, all sorts of like racist, hateful, inflammatory remarks and have no retribution. Right. And so I would love for us to start holding some of these people accountable. You know, there's one particular person that did this. I ended up reaching out to their boss. We had a conversation over the weekend. That particular individual no longer works there as of Saturday, late Saturday afternoon. Like that's what I'm talking about in terms of us kind of taking it to another level. Um, and, and I would love to, you know, have your support around that and, and just the greater sales community. I think that we can do more in this particular arena rather than just being supportive. I think we can be proactive to remove racists from workplaces. Yep. I don't know how else to, to say it, you know? Yeah. I, I think we, I think one thing there's, there's a line because I also want to make sure that, you know, what's the goal, right? The goal would be to help to change people's mind, you know? And, and so, you know, when someone comments all lives matter, for example, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, that person's not canceled to me, you know, like, that's totally different than what you're talking about. <laughs> totally different. But, but I think also LinkedIn, we need to be okay with some dialogue. And I feel like sometimes in LinkedIn, if someone comments anything like, you know, all that, which again, I, I, I understand why that person did that. I, I think they're not, they, they forgot that equally at the end of it. Um, but I also feel like, you know, use, use it as education, use it as a chance to, to not just put up a post about it. And I, you and I are the same, like, we'll get in there and comment on it too. Um, but I feel like that's an important thing too. So call these, call them out and then engage. 
I'll engage and not, and not in a combative, like hope maybe I can flip their mind. I don't know. Maybe I can, or at least maybe give them an alternative way to think about it, you know, and, and who knows, maybe that's delusional, but I feel like that's it. And, and I feel like as sales leaders, we've got to do a better job of really looking ourselves in the mirror and, and looking at the diversity within our sales teams and, and doing something about it. You know, yeah, that's, Scott, that's what Scott, I, you gave me some advice that KD Kevin Dorsey gave you, which is, you know, grab two and go, right. Grab two people and see what you can do with them. Right. One-to-one is not going to, you know, helps, but we got to get to the majorities of these conversations, whether it's, the stuff on LinkedIn to grab two and go, or, you know, many hundred thousand to Jake's point of like trying to have a conversation with somebody, maybe not to just sort of, you know, change their mind, but even to just sort of, let's just ha- try to have a more empathetic dialogue, right? Like, I feel like, you know, and that doesn't mean I want to support a racist for there and be empathetic to them. That is not the intent, but I, I, you know, it's a really strange, strange space right now. And, um, and it's tough and it's unfortunate that we're even still here. Yeah. And like Scott said, I understand why a lot of, a lot of, you know, people in sales leadership are nervous, right? I think there's a real fear of like, well, what if I said this, would this be, it's like, I think we're seeing unprecedented where people just want action, you know, people want voice. And so, you know, and, and go talk to people who can help you not, you know, avoid missteps, but also, you know, not, not taking the first step because you're scared. And that, that Scott, I felt the same way, you know, when I've posted on the topic, but I've, I've gotten more comfortable with it because it's, you know, the alternative would be to just keep things how they are. And that's just, and it's, uh, I ultimately decided it would be more scary to not say anything to speak out on it or more detrimental or more damaging. Right. So uh, yeah, that's right. I've already said it, but uh, definitely appreciate your support. No, you too, man. Particular topic, and thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us, man. And hopefully, it's fun. Time soon. All right, Richard, you got to let me know if we're actually dropping it today. Let me know. Yeah, actually, I uh, we got another one in a minute, but yeah, we're gonna drop it. <laughs> All right, man. Just just because we should, right? We just. All right, let me know what the title of it's gonna be. Nobody else does so. it. Nobody. All right, let's roll. It. I'm ready. Let us no editing needed. Send him the title, Richard, so he can help. What's that? Send him the title. He said so he can help. That's right. I can tell you right now what I chose for the title, which is selling outcomes. Okay. There we go. I think that's a great title because I think we all need to focus on that better. Love it. All right. Enjoy the day, fellas. This is a lot of fun. Thanks, guys.